You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Good morning. Good to be with you guys. My name is Ryan. I serve as a lead pastor here at North Valley. Uh, this morning, we're going to be diving into the art of conflict. And so if you're experiencing any conflict in any relationship, this is applicable to you. Uh, There needs to be a healthy amount of conflict because uh, God made you unique and in his image and you have a unique personality and there is no two people the same. You have a unique thumbprint, a unique voice print. Uh, You are uniquely made in God's image and you're different. And yet... Uh, we're going to see this morning that there is a, uh, a, a literally like a war that goes inside of uh, the heart of every believer, every Christian, uh, between the Spirit of God and then the sinful desires uh, that are contrary to God's way. Um, and so this morning, what I want to do is just take a big picture approach real quick to look at the specific relationship of marriage. And really, there's kind of three stages of marriage. There is the honeymoon stage. Uh, this is could go all the way up for a couple of years. Uh, relatively, this season and stage of life in a marriage relationship is marked by low responsibility. It's new love and young love. Um, and then there becomes this uh, season where you transition to the next stage in a marriage relationship where I call it the, di- the disillusionment stage. Uh, where the honeymoon now is over and you find yourself uh, a little disillusioned. Um, Ladies, uh, those of you that are married, maybe you thought you were marrying a guy like Matt Damon and you find out you married Homer Simpson. And uh, he just doesn't have the looks and isn't as cool and you're not as quite enamored anymore. Um, maybe you thought you married the knight in shining armor and now his, his armor doesn't look so shiny and you don't think he acts like a knight. Um, the disillusionment stage, that's reality. Everybody faces it. Uh, this morning, that's what we're going to see today. Uh, Solomon has uh, celebrated his honeymoon with his bride. He has uh, uh, taken her from the mountains of Lebanon, a sweet country girl, uh, married a powerful king, and he has reigned and, and he is, will rule over 40 years in Israel, a literal historical king. And the, most, the wisest and the wealthiest in his day and time. And she's going to find out there's a little disillusionment. Uh, it's not quite as rosy as uh, she thought. Uh, but if couples are smart, they'll transition from this stage and then move into the commitment stage. Commitment stage is when you realize you see your spouse with all their failures and their flaws and you look at them anyway and you say, it's by the grace of God that I love you and it's based on the grace of God. I'm going to continue to love you because when you say I do, it's not a commitment that you make just to your spouse. It's a commitment that you make to God. And so it is not a contractual agreement like some business operation. It is a commitment stage. And that, my friends, is what we're going to see in the following weeks in the life of Solomon and his bride is this commitment stage. Um, So let's start. Solomon's going to highlight first stage is the honeymoon stage. He has experienced incredible intimacy. We have seen uh, kind of a uh, behind-the-scenes look at their honeymoon night and seeing them uh, engage in intimacy. And he says this, 
after he has experienced the joys and the thrills of being with his beloved, he says in chapter 5, verse 1, I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. That's Hebrew poetry for I have experienced the greatest intimacy and the joy in my relationship with my spouse. Uh, He is excited. He is looking back on the honeymoon and the excitement. And he walks out into his uh, palace and announces to his friends, it's a time for celebration. He says, eat friends and drink your fill of love. It's a time for celebration. Solomon's experienced the honeymoon and the magnitude and the joys and the privileges of being intimate with his wife. And what we're going to see is this, this, this ecstasy and this excitement and this new love and young love is going to wear off and they're going to get into their first fight. We're going to learn today on how to fight fair, how to fight clean, and uh, how to conflict appropriately. Uh, conflict The honeymoon is over, conflict begins. Here's what the Bible says about conflict. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you, James says, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Not your spouse, but in you. One of the most important lessons you're going to get out of here today is that if you're going to conflict right, you need to look at the own war and the battle that's going on inside you. Today, I'm going to ask you to lay your weapons down, and I'm going to ask you to raise your white flag and create peace, not based on what your spouse does, but on what you need to do to respond to God. Um, Conflict is a real deal. It happens all the time. I want to tell you about my honeymoon and and the first big fight that Leslie and I had. Um, I took her from Little Rock, and we went up to the Ozark Mountains, went into the Missouri. We stayed at this beautiful lodge called uh, Big Cedar Lodge. It's a branch and division of the Bass Pro Shop. So it's a guy's dream honeymoon, you know. (laughs) And I talked her into it, and she was good with it as long as we had quality time and all that. And it was a nice place, beautiful lodge. We stayed up there. And then after that, we transitioned to this little country uh, cabin Uh, a childhood memory place of mine in the Ozark Mountains. And I had a horse trailer brought in. I had four wheelers there. And we had this little tiny cabin just to ourselves. And one morning we wake up, we'd been there a couple days and we'd done plenty of uh, drinking coffee and, and chatting and snuggling by the fire. And it was winter time. And I didn't tell her this, but I packed my shotgun because I wanted to go squirrel hunting. And so on this particular morning, I, uh, I laid my shotgun by the door, and then she says to me, hey, wh- 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 where are you going? And I said, uh, well, I was thinking, and she interrupted, and she said, well, I've got a little um, devotional I want to read, and I was thinking we could just sit and drink coffee again. And I was like, baby, we've done that for two or three days. <laughs> and she said, yeah, I know, but I just wanted to do that. And I said, well, uh, oh, oh, okay. And she said, why, what did you have planned? I said, well... I'm going, I'd like, I'd like to go hunting. And she said, this morning? I said, yeah, it's a great morning for it. And she said, oh, man. And I said, I, I, I don't know what happened. It's like I felt like I had been as romantic as possible. You know, like I'd exercised every romantic bone in my body, and then I just kind of wanted some time to be alone and go enjoy the creation and all this stuff. And 
and shoot a squirrel or two, you know? And uh, <laughs> so I say to her, sweetie, can we just take a break? Can, can we just take a break this morning? You know, I got to be honest with you. This devotional stuff and reading coffee and sitting around chit-chatting, that's fun, but it's not as fun as going squirrel hunting. And she said, oh my goodness. And then she said, that kind of hurt my feelings. And I thought, I said to her, well, you don't need to get your feelings hurt. I just want to go hunting. The next thing I know, we kind of spiral into this fight. And she says, oh my gosh, we're fighting on our honeymoon. And I'm like, so what? And then we get into it. And next thing I know, she's crying. And I don't know what to do. I'm standing at the door. I was ready to go. And I got my shotgun right beside the door here. And I opened the door. And she goes, where are you going? I said, I'm going hunting. And she starts crying. And she goes, you know what? Just take me home. And she falls down on the ground and she starts crying. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I get into? And she yells out, just take me home. I want to go home to my mama. I want to go to my mama. And I just said, I'll take me home, she said. And I didn't know what to do. So I just said, you know what, baby? I just got to get some space. So I picked up my shotgun. And I'm standing at the door and she's looking at me from the floor. And I go, baby, you are home. And I slammed the door and I walked out. And I was like, yeah, I told her, yes, she is home. And she's home, she's home, she's home. She's not going to her mama. Uh-uh, leave and cleave, baby. We are cleaving together. We got this. So I go out in the woods, sitting there by the tree, and I feel this ring on my finger. And it felt like, for the first time, a cold, foreign object that didn't fit on my finger. And I just pulled off my ring and I looked at it for a moment. And I thought, commitment. I'll stay committed. So I ended my squirrel hunt early and went back and told Leslie, look, I'm really sorry for blowing it. I lost my cool. Actually, I was right. She was home. But the way I handled that was <laughs> foolish. It scarred her for about a year, you know. We're over it now, and we can laugh. We can laugh now. Um, but that really hurt her feelings quite a bit. And uh, this morning, what we're going to see is that the honeymoon is over between Solomon and his bride. Conflict ensues. You know, most couples fight over a few things. You name it out. They fight over money, fight over kids, parenting, styles, Leslie's like, red light, I'm green light. Like, every, you want to do anything? Let's have fun. Leslie's like, no, 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 we got a rule. I'm like, do we have a rule book around here? Because if you got a rule book, I'll read it. You know, but you can fight over parenting. You can fight over finances. You fight over sex. You fight over time. Fight over work. You fight all the time. And some of you fight way too much, and some of you don't fight enough. There needs to be a healthy balance. Solomon and his bride are going to fight over intimacy. He makes his request. He's a busy, busy guy. He's back in Jerusalem. He's the king of Israel. He's got a lot of responsibilities, and he took off a lot of time. He's been out uh, romancing his bride. He took her to Lebanon where she wanted to go, uh, the mountains of Lebanon. He's had her back in Jerusalem. He has dolled her up. He has uh, spent money, time, energy, uh, romancing his bride, and he makes a request late at night to be intimate with his bride while she is in the bedroom. 
Chapter 5, verse 2, he makes his request. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. What does that mean? It means she was dreaming. Her heart was restless. She was sleeping, but her heart was awake. You ever felt that before? When you're going through a lot of conflict or challenges or troubles in life, sometimes it's hard to shut down. You know what I mean? You go to bed, but you really had a restless night of sleep. You, you, you are, your brain won't shut off because of all the trouble or the conflict or the challenges that you've gone through and you go through a restless night. What we're going to see in today's message is we're going to see this bride go through a dream of a dream of a reality that is already at play. They've got conflict in their marriage and it has to deal, do with um, sex and time. Uh, and so he's going to make a request because, guy, guys, listen, I understand most guys experience intimacy and closeness in their relationship through physical intimacy. And he, he wants to feel emotionally close to her, but it's through sexual intimacy. And so ladies aren't always like that. Oftentimes ladies want to experience emotional intimacy through time and conversation and just, you know, being together. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. He's knocking on the door and he says, open to me, my sister, my darling. He calls her an affectionate term and a provocative term at the same time. Sister is a term of endearment. Darling is a term of sexual intimacy. It means the one to be protected and the one to be sexually intimate with. So immediately she hears this, and she knows what he's talking about. It doesn't take her a whole lot to figure out what Solomon's interested in. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. A romantic speech he gives before he makes his request. He says, my head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. What has he been doing? He's been working. He's been working long and hard. He's playing catch-up. He just labored incredibly hard to romance his bride, applied all his skills, applied all his intellect, all his emotion, his heart and soul is in the marriage, and now he's got to go back to work, and it's an erratic schedule. She rejects his request. Look what she says. I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? Do you know what that is? That is Hebrew for, I have a headache. <laughs> I, I don't feel like I'm in the mood tonight, is what she says. She says she's taken off her robe. That means she's tucked in bed. She's ready, to, she's ready to go to sleep. Obviously, Solomon and his bride aren't having conversation and communication about what intimacy is going to look like in the marriage when he's busy at work. Because it's easy when you're on the honeymoon because there is, don't worry about time. Just enjoy every moment, everything. But real life is, right? You got job, you got responsibility, you got deadlines, you got projects to do. And Solomon's busy at work and now he comes home and he's thinking, I want to be with my lady. And she says, no, I have already gotten in bed. I've washed my feet. I don't want to get them dirty. I don't want to get dirt in the bed. I, no, I, I'm not interested. So... Is there exceptions when a husband makes his request for his wife? The Bible talks about how when you get married to each other, you have mutual ownership. 
So the husband has mutual ownership over his wife, and the wife has mutual ownership for her husband. So your time, your talent, your treasure, everything is together. The big idea in marriage is that you are one. Let the two become one. And so they're generally speaking, the Bible speaks about this, do not deprive each other for intimacy. There are some exceptions. Here it is. Uh, the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree. You might want to circle that in your program. I've got the verse there. Unless you both agree. So it's a mutual agreement to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time, might circle that, uh, so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Three exceptions. There's mutual agreement. It's a limited time. And then it's also a time for prayer. And I thought about this earlier. Some, I've, I've not met a woman or a man who said to me, we're not going to be intimate tonight because I have to pray. Uh, now... That's just a cop out for the most times. But I did think about it. Where would that be appropriate for a season to say, we're not going to be intimate together in our marriage because we need to pray? I'll tell you where it would be appropriate. Um, If you come from a past where you've been abused or hurt emotionally or physically or sexually, and when you enter into the bedroom for intimacy, it brings back all sorts of bad memories. Or there's been incredible unfaithfulness. Or there's been unfaithfulness in the marriage. And so being together is something that's incredibly difficult. That's an appropriate space to say, I I don't want to deprive you, but because of our past and what we've gone through, I'm asking for a mutual agreement that we we have a time of prayer until we work this thing out. You know, as a general rule of thumb, um, sex in marriage is like the fire and the flame that keeps the marriage burning bright. God inc- created it not just for procreation, but for pleasure, to enjoy. He made you human. He wants you to be fully alive as a man, as a woman. In the gift of marriage, it's a joyful experience. The Bible hides nothing from us and shows us all the beauty of power of sensuality in the context of marriage. God's got something much more better to offer than the world does. It's a mutual commitment to love each other through uh, the good times and through the hard times. And so she rejects her man, not for any kind of legitimate exception. She says, basically, I don't even want to get out of the bed. The door is probably 15 feet away, but she didn't want to get out of bed. She didn't want to open the door for him. Can you imagine that? Solomon, the king of Israel, that was his palace. He invited her in. He romanced her in the countryside of Lebanon. He's a powerful king. She doesn't have a reputation. He's the one who pursued her, brings her in, and then she's barring up in the bedroom and saying, leave me alone. Go find somewhere else to sleep. This palace is big. Go find someplace else. And Solomon responds. How how do they react? Let's see. They have different reactions. She says to him, my beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. There's mixed reactions. Initially, she didn't want anything to do with him. And all of a sudden, she sees him reaching out. The, The door would have been made of cedar from Lebanon. There would have been a hole through it. And he reaches his hand through the door to try to get himself in because she don't want to get out of bed to open the latch and open it. And she sees that and she thinks, he's not yelling at me. 
He's not being a jerk, but he's pursuing me even still, still after I rejected him. They have different reactions. Her heart begins to flutter just a little bit. And it says this, uh, she says, I arose to open for my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh. He had put something on the door and the bolt. My fingers and flowing with myrrh on the handles of the bolt. What was myrrh doing on the door? Myrrh is a sweet-smelling ointment. It's a special gift. It was the very same gift that the wise men, the magi, brought to the birth of Jesus Christ as a sign of royalty and kingship and love. It was the same gift given to Solomon by the queen, uh, Esther, or Queen Sheba. And here he places this blessing instead of some mean note on the door. Myrrh was originally used uh, as a symbol of love and uh, appreciation. It's an uplifting odor that smells really great. And he places that on the door as a sign and a symbol, as a calling card to tell her, I love you, I'm for you, I'm not against you. It'd be like if you went to your, uh, your, your house and the door was locked and and, and uh, you find there uh, you can't get in or something and your, your spouse has left a note on the, on the door or at the foot of the door and it had a scent of cologne or perfume on it, maybe a rose, maybe a note. And it's a sign and a symbol of, I love you. Uh, here's what the Bible says about that. I think it's a great response. He does not react to his spouse. He responds in a godly way. 1 Peter 3.9 says, don't repay evil for evil. That's exactly the problem with some of your relationships right now. You, you do that. You, you repay evil for evil. It's boom. You hit me, boom, I'm going to hit you. You yell at me, I'm going to yell at you. You call me this, I'll call you that. And next thing you know, you've got World War III on your hands and your household and your kids Running for shelter. The Bible says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults. See, that's, that's warfare right there. That's verbal warfare. I'm calling you today to lay down your weapons. I'm telling you that this kind of conflict will kill any good relationship. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, why don't you do this? Pay them back with a blessing. That is what God's called you to do. And he will bless you for it. Solomon knew in his heart that he needed to bless rather than to retaliate. Here's the point. Blessing instead of getting even. You bless instead of getting even. You bless because you've been blessed. Your responsibility is you. It's not your spouse. Your responsibility is to respond in a godly way, not react in an ungodly way. No matter who hurt you, your responsibility is to respond. And how do we do that? We bless instead of getting even. Look what she says. Her heart's going to begin to change because that's what happens. When somebody uh, blesses you, it kind of opens up your heart and your perspective to go, why are you being so nice to me? So here's what happens. She says, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. Maybe he waited around for five minutes, maybe 10, maybe 20, but he's gone. She says, I looked for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. In other words, he's withdrawn. Ladies, he's gone into his man cave is what he's done. 
I heard somebody say recently, when a man goes into his man cave, it, it can be like a, a bear retreating to his cave. And if he's angry, here's a, a advice for you ladies. Don't chase an angry bear into its cave. You, some, what Solomon does here is actually godly and right. He, he's not going to withdraw and isolate for days and days. We're, we're going to see that unfold next week. But he needs some space. He doesn't have anything good to say, so he's not going to say anything good, say anything at all. He knows that if he sticks around, it'll probably escalate. And so he, he made his request. She said no, lame excuse, no biblical uh, foundation for her denial. She didn't even want to get out of bed. And she comes to the door, and he's gone, and so he leaves. He withdraws. What are common reactions to conflict? These uh, common reactions are this for all of us. Withdrawal, blame, invalidation, negativity, and escalation. Researchers say uh, with, that they can determine with 90% accuracy which relationships will, uh, within a few years, deteriorate and self-destruct based on the level of these reactions to conflict. If you've got more than three of these things working at a high frequency in your marriage or any of your relationships, you are by nature going to destroy any kind of relationship you're in. Um, conflict is normal, but to have an intensity of high withdrawal, high blame, high invalidation, high negativity or escalation, it's like gasoline and matches whoever you're spending time with. And it won't foster a relationship. It'll destroy a relationship. What is withdrawal? Withdrawal is stonewalling or ignoring. It's withholding. If one spouse is hurt, uh, that spouse that's hurt will get hurt themselves, and they don't know how to deal with their pain and their hurt. So you know what they do? They withdraw, and they withhold emotionally. They withhold verbally. They withhold any kind of affection, and it can even happen where the person that's hurt, the spouse that's hurt, will even withhold from the kids, and they're accidentally taking out their pain and their problem on people around them. Withholding, withdrawing is a dangerous thing. It doesn't mean that you can't ever withdraw at some limited time, but continually, consistently withholding or withdrawing to con when you have conflict is dangerous or blaming. That's pointing the finger at someone and always blaming someone or something for their problems. Well, it's his fault or her fault, or it's the church's fault, or it's my work's fault, or it's this fault. They do this and they do that. And all, the, all you hear is blame, 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 blame. Well, guess what? Newsflash. Whoosh. Blame is lame. Okay? Here's who you blame. Blame you. Blame you for your situation because you're the only one that can control what you do. You control what you can control. You can't control other people. You can try, but you'll wear yourself out. You're wasting time. Blame is lame. Blame is an incredibly dangerous, uh, toxic element in any relationship. Always pointing the finger or invalidation. When your spouse says, hey, you hurt me. You did this and you said that. And you say to them, well, I'm sorry if you feel that way. That's invalidation. Invalidation is when you constantly say, well, it's not that big a deal. Just get over it. What's wrong? Why are you acting like that? It's not a big deal. 
I'm sorry, I guess, if you feel that way. Invalidation can really hurt. It perpetuates the problem. It doesn't heal the problem. It, it belittles the person. And then the individual finds out they got nobody they can turn to because they got hurt and they're frustrated and then the spouse turns around and constantly invalidates. The opposite of invalidation is validation. I'm sorry. I hurt you. I know what that could feel like. I can, I can imagine how hard that hurt you. That's validation. Negativity. This is constantly nagging. This is constantly negative interpretation. They're against me. They're looking at me. They're frustrated with me. They're, they're this. It's negatively interpretation. Half of the negativity is in your head. Half of it's there. Bible talks about take every thought captive. Take it captive. Don't surrender to every thought. Just because it crossed your mind, it doesn't mean it's real. It doesn't mean it's right. And the enemy loves negativity, sowing that into your mindset, into the way you view your spouse, the way you view your coworkers, the way you view everybody. Negative interpretation, dangerous, toxic element into the relationship. Bad way to constantly react to conflict. Focuses on people's weaknesses. Escalation's another big one. You, you can turn a molehill into a mountain all the time. You raise your voice. You begin to get physical or you, you take an issue and you escalate it and all of a sudden you, you get people involved and it turns into this drama, huge drama, because you escalate. So I'm going to tell you a story uh, about a fight that Leslie and I had recently. So um, I figure this is my strategy with you guys. If I'm real with you, maybe you'll be real with yourself. Uh, if you find out and you start to realize, okay, that Pastor Ryan, he's just kind of an, uh, a guy like me. Yeah, you're right. I am. I got a radical calling on my life to lead this church. And yeah, that's a special supernatural thing. And I'm loving it. And I love my wife and my kids. But I want to tell you, I'm H-U-M-A-N, just like you. So let me tell you about a fight we had. So this, uh, uh, this week, uh, Leslie and I, are we divide up the chores at the household. So I do the dishes a lot of times. Now we got Sam. He's old enough, he, so we get him doing it. It's awesome. Kids get older, you give them more responsibilities. It's like we figured out. Now we got built-in babysitters. We're like, see ya. Um, but usually I do a lot of the, uh, the household chores, and we divide them up. And one of the ones that Leslie does is she, uh, she washes the clothes. Um, and I, I put Maya in bed a lot of times in the evenings, and except for Sunday night. So I'm like, praise the Lord, that'll be fun. I get the free time tonight. Uh, but this week, uh, I go in to get my clothes, socks and undies. And I open the drawer, and there's nothing there. And it was not the first night. It was like the second or third night. There's no socks, no undies. And so I say to my wife, I say, sweetie, she's doing her hair. She's dolling all up in the, in the mirror. And I say from the bedroom, hey, baby. Uh, do you know where any clean clothes are? You know, are there any clean clothes? I need some socks and some undies. They're all dirty. Do you have any clean clothes? And she goes, uh, what'd you say? I said, they're all dirty. And she said, what? I said, socks and undies. And she said, then flip them. <laughs> I said, do what? She said, flip them. <laughs> and she just was dolling herself up. She's grinning. And I said, oh my gosh, that is so sarcastic. You telling me to flip them? She said, yeah, just flip them. And I, <laughs> I said, look, I, I do so many things around this house, 
And then the one thing I'm asking you to do is just, if you can just tell me about this. And she said, well, well, next time you need to give me a status update when you're getting low, and then I can do some wash. And I said, you know what? Forget it. Mm-mm. You do not treat me like that. That's so disrespectful. So I laid down in bed, and I thought about that verse that said, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And I said, so what? Mm-mm. So I'm going to bed angry, right? And... I just had a bad moment, you know, and so I'm like, whatever, and then she gets in bed, and she's like, whatever, and then she says, did you take my potty? And I said, no. Did you take my potty? And she said, no, and I said, I guess you'll pee in the bed. <laughs> and we were mad, and then I woke up the next morning, and she's sitting on the couch, and she's doing her devo, her devotional, and she's drinking her coffee, and when she makes coffee, that's what wakes me up. I smell that coffee. And I go out there, and I'm like, bad day. It's going to be a bad one. Got unresolved conflict. I don't feel like doing this today. And so I walk by the kitchen, get my coffee, and I come sit down. I'm like, uh, what am I in for? And she says, hey, sweetie, I'm sorry for last night. I was rude and disrespectful. I'm like, baby, I forgive you. And she's like, and you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry for being rude and disrespectful myself. Forgive me. The day's good. The day's even better. You want to know why? Because she's human, I'm human, and now we can just go through life applying grace, and it feels good not to just receive grace, but to give grace. To give forgiveness, not just receive forgiveness. And that's what God's called you to do. Be a grace giver. Be a blessing. Don't be a burden and a weight on your spouse. Be a blessing. When your spouse does wrong against you, here's what you do. You don't react to your spouse. You respond to God no matter what they do to you. You've got a responsibility. It's called report to the high king of heaven and ask him, God, how do you want me to respond in this situation? What, what do I say? What do I do? What did I do wrong? When do I talk to them? So your life and your joy is at stake here. And here's what happens. If you don't deal with this conflict, it'll escalate. And it escalates into this gal's heart. She moves from a dream to a nightmare. Watch this. Verse 7. The watchman found me. She's been out looking for Solomon. She is in a nightmare of what would it be like to not find Solomon, he's busy at work. How would the, his royal guards treat me, being now the queen of Israel? She says, the watchmen found me, and they made their rounds in the city, and they beat me. She's escalated. Her fears have turned into a nightmare. They've bruised me. They've taken away my cloak. They stripped her. They embarrassed her, shamed her. Those watchmen of the walls, she says, her fears have moved from rational to irrational. If you don't deal with your conflict, you'll perpetuate your fears and they'll escalate into a nightmare that will wake you exhausted and confused about what reality is. She does something contrary. God had used that nightmare in her life to get help. One of the best things you can do if you're fighting and struggling in your conflict right now, you reach out. You reach out to good and godly help. She wakes up. 
Verse 8, this is real life. She wakes up. She says to the daughters of Jerusalem, she's going to reach out for help. She says, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? And she responds with the answer of what she wants them to say. Tell him I am faint with love. In other words, tell him I'm lovesick. Tell him a piece of my soul is missing because he's gone. Because we haven't solved this conflict. We haven't resolved our issues Her heart is with his, and when you have unresolved conflict, you can feel sick emotionally, physically, spiritually. It perpetuates depression and anxiety and stress. So what do you need? You need pre-approved friends that are there to help in the marriage. You need people in your life that say you've already talked to as a husband and a wife because guess what? You need kings in your corner. You need queens in your corner. You need people that are wise. They have smarts about them. They have good sense of leadership and understanding about marriage and seasons of life. You need people in your corner to help you through tough issues like marriage, parenting, resolving conflict, finances. You don't need to do life alone. And it's so important in the relationship. You have pre-approved friends. These daughters of Jerusalem were friends of Solomon and his beloved that they had already made friends with, and we'd seen it develop in their dating, in their as a single, and then into their marriage. And these daughters of Jerusalem, they're going to give them good advice. But notice this about her. She does not talk bad about her spouse. She doesn't badmouth him to her girlfriends. She talks good about them. That's something you got to do. If you're going through conflict, don't go air him out and throw your spouse under the bus and call him chop liver. Be kind. Be appropriate. Look what she does. We're going to see verse uh, that she operates with wisdom. Here's what Proverbs says. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and you'll get in trouble. There's three kinds of people in life, really. There's, there's wise people. There's foolish people, and then there's evil people. Uh, wise people always point you back to God and your spouse. Foolish people don't have a clue. They don't want to point you back necessarily uh, to God. They'll point you to some horoscope. They'll point you to some kind of uh, new trend or latest fad in, your rela- in the world. Uh, foolish people won't point you back to your spouse. They'll tell you to go find a new spouse. Evil people will say, he's a jerk, retaliate and do evil against him. Pay him back with evil. That's what they'll tell you to do. You got to figure out what kind of friends you want. Do you want wise people in your life? Do you want foolish people in your life? Do you want evil people in your life? I know that's a generalization, but it is reality. The Bible talks about wise people, foolish people, evil people. You need wise friends. If you walk with the wise, I promise you, God's word's true. You'll get wiser. You'll learn how to navigate through conflict. You'll learn how to navigate through challenges and hardships. Here's what her friends say. Should they ask a good question because they're wise? They're getting her to think. They're not doing all the talking. They're getting her to think. They ask a question. How is your beloved better than others? She says, her friends say to her, let's write a good list. Let's think about the things that Solomon does well. Let's not just be negative on him and criticize him. He's not going to want to come back if that's all you do. 
She says, how is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you so charge us? Here's what happens. She begins to remind herself of all the good qualities. Notice what she says in verse 10. She says, my beloved. Her friends just said, Solomon, your beloved. And then she says, oh yeah, my beloved. The one I love. I'm not, uh, he's not the, the jerk. He's not the, uh, this, my enemy. He's my beloved. And so she's going to get a good list. Here it is. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000s. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. She's saying he's handsome. She's admitting that, you know what, I'm, I am attracted to him. She continues and says this in verse 12. His eyes are like doves by the water of streams washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. He has good beard oil on. He smells good, looks good. His eyes are pure like doves. He's maintaining his purity. She's attracted to him physically, emotionally. And she's starting to remember that. She can't stop. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. Uh, his body is like polished ivory decorated with lapis and lazuli. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. There's gold, gold, gold on this guy. He obviously is physically fit. His appearance is like Lebanon. Choice as it's cedars. He's physically fit. He's got arms that are rods of gold. This guy works out at Gold Gym. He's, he's better than CrossFit. He's, he's a Gold's Gym Hebrew physically fit stud. She finishes her thoughts with this. His mouth is sweet itself, and he is altogether lovely. She's not talking about his good kisses, although he gives a good Hebrew kiss to his bride. She's talking about how sweet he is with his words. He is altogether lovely. All together lovely. She is reminding herself, she is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. You need uh, to realize that she says he is her best friend. At the end of the day, that's what God wants for your marriage. Your best friends. Best friends fight sometimes. Best friends kiss and they make up. Um, you need to make up to your spouse Here's what the Bible says. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let me invite the band up. Uh, my hope for you today is that you make peace, that God has got you here. You're not here by accident. I'm glad you're here. You've got a lot of conflict, uh, some of you more than others. My encouragement to you is lay down your weapons. Uh, sticks and stones... Uh, break bones and words can do the same thing so remember today that I'm going to encourage you is that you wave a white flag to God and you say God I'm going to make peace I don't need another war at my house I don't need another war in my family I don't need another war at my work I'm going to make peace I'm going to take responsibility say this to God I'm going to take responsibility for me M-E me and I can't control all these other people around me, but I can control me. And I can wave the white flag to God and say, God, I admit I've blown it and I need your help. I want to make peace with you today. So let me pray and I'm going to invite our team to lead us in worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that we make peace, God, today. Would we wave that white flag and say, I'm tired of fighting, God. And I pray right now, would you... 
Would you give me the joy of, and, the, and the power, Lord, to move forward and walk in peace with you by confessing our sin and saying, God, uh, if we are sh- short of uh, doing what you want us to do. Lord, we know we have flaws and we know we have failures. But God, uh, we thank you that through your son, you, you offer peace. And so we want to make peace with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.